0: Oh man, it's good to be here, glad y'all are here, um, looking forward to today, um, looking forward to this series, um, I believe it's going to be a challenging series, the name of it is The End of Me, um, and what we're looking at is the several places in scripture that we see where um, we're told that uh, we are to die to ourselves, that we're to take up our cross, we're to count the cost, we're to become less, Jesus is to become more. And really why we do that um, and, and and what that looks like. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, and so today, we're actually going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, we'll flip back in 2 from John 3 to John chapter 1 and looking at the life of John the Baptist. And as you study his life, it's absolutely amazing to see who he was and Uh, What he did and the heart in which he did it. And so I'd encourage you uh, to to read more on this even um, after this service because his life is such a perfect picture of the life we're called to live uh, in Christ. Um, His life is a little different than ours. He was actually, um, according to Luke 1.15, he was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, before he was born in his mother's womb. And so he was filled with the Spirit. Then we're filled with the Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. And so um, the way he received the Spirit is a little different from the way we do. But once we receive the Spirit, there's a lot of characteristics and, and things we can pull from John's life that... Apply to ours. And so, uh, John chapter 3, let's read um, there, verses 22 uh, over to verse 36. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And he's talking about Jesus here. He says, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom awaits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. is now complete. He, listen, this is our main verse for today, that he must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it is certified that God is truthful. The one, for the, the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. Well, let's pray. God, I just thank you for um, today and thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that it is alive and active, that you've breathed life into it, that it is God breathed. God, I thank you that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life so that truth is your word is really a person it's Christ it's your revelation of who you are through Jesus and what you've done for us God and Lord today I just pray um, Lord don't let this be a time of going through the motions of another message God or don't let us settle for entertainment or checking off our list God I pray that you would Speak to our hearts through the power of your spirit. uh, That we wouldn't be manipulated to a response, but that we would be brought to repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, a desire to follow you. So Lord, I pray you'll speak to us. I pray we would have ears to hear and eyes to see God, who you are and what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you are kind of like me? I think one of the things that happens in life a lot of times is people focus oftentimes on the what of things, and oftentimes they never really explain the why. Have you ever noticed that? Like, people are pretty quick, and even in church or other places, people are pretty quick to tell us, like, what we should do or um, what we ought to not do, but Oftentimes, people don't tell us the why. And I, for one, am a person who I like to know why. Like, I don't want to just be kind of told, like, what am I supposed to do? Tell me, why am I supposed to do it? And and you see this, and many of you have seen this in your own life, even from the time you were a child, right? Because there's so many times that we tell or we ask our, our, um, our kids to do something, and what do they say? Why? And what do you say? Because I said so. Like, that's a good reason, right? That's why. Uh, And and a lot of people say, don't say it. I, for one, think there are times when our kids have to do what we say just because we say so. Like, if my child's about to run out in front of a car, and I say, stop, why? Just do what I say, right? And, And so, we... Oftentimes, they focus on what without answering the why. And so we read this verse in John 30, 30, where John the Baptist, and it's crazy because his ministry that has been explosive, his ministry that has been powerful and full of the Holy Spirit, is beginning to, um, to die. It's beginning to fade away. It's beginning to be where his disciples are beginning to go follow Jesus. And and he's in this place where where seemingly his success is ending, where his success is, is starting to wane, and yet his comment is not, I've got to figure out some way that I can hold on to this. His comment is, I have to become less so that he can become more. He must become greater. I must become less. And what's crazy is for us, if our earthly success, our our ministry, our business, whatever it is, begins to decline, typically so does our attitude, typically so does our motivation, typically so does our happiness. And yet what is awesome in this is that John says when he heard the bridegroom's voice, meaning Jesus, coming for his bride, the church... He says, my joy is complete. That's so backwards to what We oftentimes think about what we oftentimes see as success. He's saying, look, even though all of these earthly things are diminishing and these things are going away, he's saying, I hear his voice and I realize that this is about him. It's not about me. And he realizes that that he's there to point people to Jesus. So when his ministry begins to fade and his disciples begin to go after Jesus, he doesn't look at it as if I'm beginning. To fail, or I'm not going to be happy. He looks at it as my purpose is being completed because they're recognizing Christ. And so when we look at this, we have to really ask the question, though, like, why was John able to do this? And I believe it comes back to one simple thing. One simple thing. I believe this that. We will only begin to decrease, we'll only begin to lay down our life, we'll only begin to crucify our flesh or die to our sin or die to our way and begin to follow Jesus when we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because once we've tasted, once we've seen, and 1 Peter 2 talks about this, he talks about laying down our sin, he talks about living for God, and he says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And when we begin to taste that God is good, we begin to want more of him. But until we taste that God is good, when we taste his love, when we taste his power, when he puts his Holy Spirit in us through faith in Jesus and we get a taste of who he is. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of his life. It's a foretaste of eternity and there's something in us that begins to recognize this is what I've always longed for. I want more of him. I want to have more of Jesus and so it Becomes reasonable even that I would lay down my life, I would die to myself, I would give over my desires to the desires of God because I've tasted something that is so much better than what I can provide for myself. But so many times we tell people, you got to die to yourself, you got to die to sin, you got to do this, you got to do that. And if we're talking to people who've never tasted that God is good, then we're wasting our time. What motivation is there for someone who's never experienced the Holy Spirit in their life and in themselves and the transformation of heart, the grace of God, the love of God being made righteous even though you know you're sinful, experiencing Jesus in a real and authentic way, experiencing believers in a real and authentic way authentic way. When we ask somebody to die to those things, to not live for yourself, and they never tasted, seen, or realized the goodness and the power of God, we're asking them to do something that makes absolutely no sense. So we've got to realize that before we do something, we've got to see something. Before we do something, we've got to meet someone. Before we do something ourselves God has to do something in us and that's the why because we've tasted I want you to see that when we come to faith in Jesus the Bible teaches he puts his spirit in us the Bible teaches that that's our or our guarantee of what's to come. What he's saying is God's put this in you and it's the first down payment. It's the first um, part of what you're going to receive fully. And he says, when you receive this, uh, because you've received it, because you've experienced it, because he's in you, because you've tasted that it's good, because you've seen his mercy, because you've seen his grace, you're going to crave more of him but we have to come to a place where we can understand the why. We've got to come to a place where we don't just mentally say we get it, but we experientially have been engaged by the power of the Holy Spirit through the message of the gospel at the very core of our being. And so we begin to understand why. Why? Because I've tasted, I've seen, I've experienced I know I've read he's spoken to me through his word he's spoken to me through the messages he's spoken to me in my heart at the core of my being and I see the goodness I see the love I want more of him I want to be full of him I don't want more of me I realize that the best I can earn for myself is death but the thing that he gives me freely through faith is life we have a desire for that. Is that something we've tasted and seen is the goodness of God? And then we got to ask, like John says, I must decrease and he must increase or he, I must, he must become greater. Or I must become less. But how do I do that, right? Or what does that, what does that even really look like? What does it look like for me to decrease? And I will point you first to the cross. Because what we see there is Jesus laying down his life. He even said, I lay down my life. No one can take it from me. So we could say that the Jews put him on the cross or that the Romans put him on the cross or that Judas put him on the cross, but that's not really true. Jesus put himself on the cross because he knew there was one way to take your sin, take God's wrath, take God's condemnation so you wouldn't have to and for him to bring us life. That's how God so loved the world, not just that he sent his son, but because his son was perfect when we are not and the one that was perfect became imperfect so you could become perfect the one who was righteous became unrighteous so you could be the righteousness of God the one who was right with God became unright with God so that you could be right with him and have a relationship with him and so we see this that it looks like the cross it looks like laying down our life it's dying to ourselves, it's Crucifying the the flesh, our desires, the sinfulness that's in us is realizing that that I've tasted that God is good. I, I want more of him, but I realize I can't have more of me and him at the same time. And so we come to a place where we have to realize that, listen, in our life, we have so much capacity. Does that make sense? You've got a certain amount, amount of capacity in your life. Does that make sense, right? Y'all, for some reason, like, I learn a different language on Sundays. But, but listen, we have a certain capacity, and once that capacity is full, it's full. How many of you have a lot of room in the capacity of your life right now. How many, let me ask you this. How many of you need another thing on your plate? Like when you woke up this morning, you looked at your life or you looked at your calendar and you thought, if I could have one more thing to do, I would be okay. Nobody in this room most likely woke up this morning thinking i I wish somebody put something else on my plate. I don't have anything to do. But, but, but we have to realize that our plate is full. We have to realize that in life, we have a certain capacity. And once it's full, it's full. I, I know some of you have seen this. And my boys, my youngest one still does this. Um, and sometimes others. But, but, and I would do it, but it would look foolish. But you've seen those plates where uh, they're divided, right? The divided plates. And and my boys have uh, grown up and at some point in time, pretty much all of them have eaten off of one of those plates. And the point being that they don't want their food running together. How many of you are the person though, you can be honest, that you're like, it's all going to the same place, so I'm just going to put it all together and mix it all up here. Let the bean juice run into my cornbread and the gravy get on my, my corn and my, my taters and It don't matter. It's all going to mix up in there one way or the other. And you're that person. I'm not that person. I don't want my bean juice making my roll soggy. (laughs) When I eat corn, I want to eat corn. When I eat beans, I want to eat beans. I don't need corn and meatloaf together. I want it separated. And and, and some of y'all, this is so gross to me, but some of y'all do this. After you eat your meal, they say, does anybody want dessert? You're like, yeah, I'll have some. And so they bring the cake over there, and, and they're about to put it on another plate. And you're like, no, I'll just put it on the same plate. It don't matter. And so you got like turkey and dressing and gravy and cranberry sauce. It's all run together, and then they slap some red velvet cake on top of it. I'm like, give me a new plate and I will wash it if I have to. But some of us are like that. And I think a lot of people are really like that when it comes to the way they relate to Jesus, the way they see faith, the way um, we think we come to salvation is that we look at the plate The plate's really full, but I come to church or I talk with somebody at work or at the ball field or wherever I am. They tell me about Jesus. It sounds really good. And so I want that. I want to have Christ. I want Jesus in my life. So we kind of clean out like this this little spot. We want to add Jesus kind of on top of the potatoes and gravy right there. And we want it segmented, we want, but we really, you know, we want everything to have its own area, its own space. But the problem with that is just like with food, it never touches each other. And so with Jesus, we put him in this compartment on our plate that's already really full, and he never touches the rest of our life. We've got to realize that Jesus isn't a compartment on the plate, he's the plate, He's the one that holds all of life together. He's the source of life. He's the one that, 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 that gives us the ability to even have life. But we come to this place where we think that salvation and saving faith equates giving Jesus a section of our time or a section of our day or a section of Sunday from 11 to 12:15, And because I do that, I'm saved. I love you enough to tell you this morning, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is when Jesus becomes the plate of your life. And if he says, I want you to clean it off, you clean it off. If he says, I want you to take the potatoes off and put some corn on it, you do that. If he says, get this out of your life, you get that out of your life. If he says, put this in your life, you put this in your life. And he becomes the one who determines what fills your capacity. But we can't have us and have him At the same time, there's no no gospel, there's no message in scripture that says I can have me and I can have God at the same time. The, The scripture, the gospel demands a decision. Either I'm in or I'm out. I'm all in, I'm all God's or I'm not. And we have to ask the difficult question of am I in? Have a died have I been risen it doesn't mean am I perfect it doesn't mean there's not a battle that goes on inside of you but it means at the end of the day I've tasted that the Lord is good and because I want more of him I may stray a little bit I may get off the path but when I realize I'm walking away from God and I begin to feel in my spirit that I'm missing something because I'm going the wrong direction I want to be quick to turn back so I can have more of him and so we come to Jesus and I hope this makes sense if this doesn't make sense then just not like it did make sense or whatever you want to do but when we come to Jesus so many times like I said we've got the capacity we can hold so much just like this jar thing and so we come to Jesus and and we just like want to stack him on top but You can't stack water and we can't just stack Jesus on top. It's like we put him on top. And so when something gets shaken or something else gets added, he just sort of is the first thing to fall off. When we get a better offer, we get a better opportunity. If it's Raining on Sunday, I'll go. If it's sunny on Sunday, I'll go. It's it's, it's determined by our circumstances as to how much I really want to serve him, how much I really want to worship him because I've just added him. He just becomes a God among gods rather than the God of my life. So I served the God of my work. I serve the God of my money. I serve the God of my children. I served the God of their baseball, of their dance, of their recital. I served the God of, of my spouse. I served the God of the new car. I served the God of the good house. I served the God of, of, of my religious behavior. And then Jesus just becomes a God among gods. But that's not, that's not it. And listen, it's good news because we get more because we can be full of him but we only have so much capacity. And I want you to think about the red water that's in here as ourself, us, our selfishness, our own desires, our own wants and we're full before we come to Christ. We're full of ourself. We're so full of ourselves that that there's no room for anything else. And so we. we Hear a message about Christ, and we have a goosebump or an experience, or we raise our hand or we stand up or we pray or we do whatever, and we think now i've added Jesus to my life, but he hasn 't become my life i 've added him to my life, and we think that somehow that 's removed the barrier of sin, but it 's when we come to trust in Jesus, put the weight of our life on Jesus, make him the Lord of our life, not just the savior of my life, but I begin to die to myself because I've tasted that he's good that he begins to fill me but what happens is so many times we want to add him on top and think that somehow he's gonna put what's what he has for us in us while we're still full of us but it don't work it doesn't work And so in our life, basically what happens is all that comes out of us and all that fills us is us. It's just the red water, it's the self, it's all of me. And so we, that makes you have to go to the bathroom if you can hear that. But it's self, it's full of self, but when I come to faith and The lid's removed this barrier of sin that has separated me from God and I come to faith and I accept the sacrifice of Jesus. I accept what he's done and by faith I give him my life. I come to a place where that barrier of sin is removed not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus has done and my simple trust in the grace of God that's made a way for me to come to him. Then that barrier is removed. The The curtain of the temple is torn. I can now go into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did and now I begin to receive the Spirit and the more that I die to me, the more he begins to fill me with himself so that the self even begins to become weaker. You can't even see the self in me as much as you used to be able to see that self and pretty soon he keeps filling and I keep dying and he keeps pouring in the Spirit's given without limit as John 3 says and he keeps pouring until what begins to come out of us is the first of the spirit. It's Jesus himself. It's rivers of living water. So it's no longer me that's coming out. It's the pure water of God that's beginning to flow out of my life. And it doesn't happen because I try harder. It begins to happen. It begins to happen because I've seen, I know, I've tasted, I want him. Not because I want to be good, not so that I can come to church and people look at me and say, well, they're a good person. Not so I can have some easy, comfortable ride in life and think that everything's good and just take a comfortable ride to hell. I'm telling you, the church for too long has told people, look, it's about you. We've appealed to the simple nature and entitlement to get people in the door. But the problem with that is you can't use sin to get someone to turn from sin when we tell them come it's about you and then we tell them turn because it's not about you it's why so many people show up for four weeks and then you can't find them because we don't really want God when we see that it's not about me but it's about God and we've done people a disservice and here's the thing I'm going to tell you about me I, I I love you too much to worry about your feelings. I care too much. And I know one day I'm going to stand before God. And every word that I've told you, I'll give account for. And I, I want you to hear it in love. This is not in frustration. This is not in anger. I want you to get it. But I've also realized I can't drag you somewhere you don't want to go. Do you want? Have you tasted? Have you seen? Have you received the life that only Jesus can give and realize I want more of that? It's worth dying to me to have him. Last section that I want to talk about is like, how do I do this? How do I die? Like, how do I? How do I crucify myself? I mean, what does that look like? Do I go and let somebody literally nail me to a piece of wood? What does it really look like? And and when we look at this, I want you to understand that it's not primarily something to do, or at least it does not begin with something to do. It begins with someone to see. It begins with a revelation that this Holy Spirit gives us. It begins when our eyes are open and we can see clearly some things about this world, some things about God, some things about ourself. So really, it's a revelation that comes to us from God. We would never be able to know God, but God has revealed Himself to us. And so I want you to see this and see this out of the life of John the Baptist. If you want to flip back to chapter 1 real quick. The first thing that I believe happens is we get a revelation of who God is. If you look at this, John in verse 32 of chapter 1 says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And he says, I myself did not know him. Like God had told him he was coming, he knew to expect him, but he didn't know him. He said, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. In other words, the way that John became knowledgeable, the way that John received a revelation of who Jesus is, is the same way that you and I receive a revelation of who Jesus is. It's the same way that God reveals himself to us, is that the Father sends the, sends the Spirit to reveal the Son. Just like happened with John the Baptist. At Jesus' baptism, that the Bible says the heavens parted, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. John the Baptist is saying, I saw this. I knew that this was the one because the Father revealed the Son through the Spirit. It's the same thing that happens with us. And we know from Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the express image of God. So when our eyes are open to see the truth of who Jesus is, we actually have a revelation of who God is and through Jesus we can understand the attributes and the characteristics and the nature of God and so we come to a place where we have a revelation about God that's what that 412 reading plan is about see our motivation to read scripture is not to be able to check off every scripture on that page or highlight it or whatever our motivation to read scripture is a revelation of who God is. It's to hear God speak to our hearts. It's for him to reveal things to us. If we are reading it just to check it off, then we're really kind of wasting our time in a way. Because our motivation is, God, reveal yourself to me. I would challenge you, if you aren't a believer, to read it. But read it to see who Jesus is. Every word in Scripture points to Him. And so we got to come to this place where the Spirit reveals Jesus. The Spirit reveals God. The Spirit reveals His righteousness, His holiness, His grace, His mercy. He reveals those things and He expressly reveals them through Jesus. The second thing we've got to have a revelation of is who we are. And Scripture reveals this too. Scripture shows us that we're sinful. From Genesis 3 and the fall of man, we see very clearly that we are sinful and that our sin has separated us from God. He is holy and perfect and we're not. He is other and we can hopelessly strive to get to him. But there's no way to be reconciled with him apart from faith in Christ. And so we work towards that. But listen, we have to know who we are. Listen to John back in chapter 3 verse 22. He says this. I'm going to skip through some of this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time, baptized, or some time with them and baptized. It says John was also baptizing and people were coming from all over. It says this was before John was put in prison. And listen to this verse. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. It's easy to gloss over that verse. It's easy to skip through it, but it's really an important verse. And the reason it's important is because John's ministry was a ministry of baptism for repentance. Basically, he was saying, you need to come and repent, symbolizing that you are turning from your sin and you want to follow the law of God. You want to know God. And so he was telling them, you need to come and be baptized. The challenge in this and the amazing thing about this is that Jewish people were not typically baptized. It was typically the Gentiles or the non-Jews who wanted to become um, followers of God and go uh, into the Jewish faith that would be baptized. And the reason for that is because the Gentiles, according to the Jews, is this not working anymore? Can you all hear All right, so the reason that this is important is that he was telling the Jewish people that you need to be baptized also. He was telling them, look, it's not just the Gentiles who are unclean, we're all unclean. And he's saying we all need to turn from our sin. And so he's calling them to this place of repentance and this symbolic turning from sin and turning to God. And he's telling the Jewish people, you need to do this too. That's why there was such a dispute with some of the Jews is they didn't agree. They were like, we're the clean ones. The Gentiles are dirty. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. The standard you need to look at is God. The standard you need to look at is perfection. And if you look at that standard, Romans 3.23 is true that we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we see clearly who we are then we we can't stop there. If we stop there, we stop in just condemnation. But we have to keep going. And the revelation of Scripture and the revelation the Spirit gives us is also what God has done. Listen, I told you we're gonna flip back and forth. John chapter one, verse 29 and 30. John the Baptist had a revelation of what Jesus would do. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Skip over to verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And so John is not making a statement about the fact that Jesus was cute and cuddly, okay? He wasn't saying Jesus wants to cuddle with you. What he's saying is, from Genesis 3.21, immediately after sin and separation from God happened, the Bible says that God killed an animal and made animal garments, and he clothed Adam and Eve to cover their shame because they realized they were naked. What he's saying is, from that point on, God established a line of sacrifice for sin, and what he's saying is, if you will follow that blood trail, if you'll follow that blood line, if you will keep looking through history at what those sacrifices are pointing to. He says there's the man who's going to take the sin that the lambs and the goats and the bulls could never take. There's the man who's going to be the final lamb. There's the one who's going to take the sacrifice, be the sacrifice for sin once and for all. He's saying there is the lamb of God. And he's saying See this, open your eyes to this. John is saying, he's pointing them to this. He's saying, realize what God is doing. Realize that everything he's done in history up to this point is pointing you to this realization that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we realize what God has done what he's done for us through Jesus. And then we come to a place where we realize what or who we've become. We don't stop at falling short. If you read on through Romans, that's Romans 3.23, but the whole book of Romans is about revealing the righteousness of Christ. It reveals our unrighteousness. But then it reveals the way that God made the unrighteous righteous so they could be reconciled to him. And so he's revealing this. And so we have to see who we become. In Christ, even though on our best day we are still a sinner saved by grace, we have become the righteousness of Christ so that he's put his spirit in us, given us a taste of who he is, but he's also clothed us in the righteousness of Christ by faith so that we can be made right with God. It's the only way that God, a holy, perfect God could ever Reconcile a sinful creation is that the clean became dirty. The unright the righteous became unrighteous. He took what we deserved. That's what the cross is all about. And I want you to see how this goes back to how we decrease. Because when we have a revelation of who God is, we have a revelation of who we are. We have a revelation of what God has done and we have a revelation of who I have become. Listen, it doesn't lead us to a place of condemnation. When that revelation comes, it leads us to a place of, freedom. And what it does is when I see the gap between who God is and who I am, and I realize I have no way of getting there, my only choice in and of myself is to be separated from him from now on to never experience eternal life, to never to have a foretaste of who he is. And I realize the gap that exists between me and him, and I realize what he's done to bridge that gap, and I realize who he's made me to become and who he's making me become then that leads to worship which leads to laying down my life which leads me to offering myself as a living sacrifice which leads me to more life and this just keeps going on as i'm pouring me out and he's pouring him in that i'm being transformed from the inside out and my life begins to look different as i'm worshiping him and that's the motivation of worship the motivation of worship isn't dependent on an organ. It's not dependent on a piano. It's not dependent on a band. It's not dependent on a good drummer. It's dependent on have I have a revelation of who God is, who I am, what he's done, and who I become. If that's never happened, it makes sense that we would not worship. The next thing we have to have a revelation of is why I exist. And if you... Look again there, John 131. John says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He denies in the beginning of that section that he's the Messiah. See, John had probably more than anybody else I see in scripture other than Jesus had the most clear understanding of the purpose for which he existed. He realized it's not for me to point people to me. He realized the purpose of my existence is to point people to him. That's why his ministry could be dying, his ministry could be um, crumbling, his ministry could be diminishing, and yet he was rejoicing is because he realized this story is not about me. This story is not a story in which I play the main character. He realized that he's not the center of the universe. He realized that God is. He realized this story is about God and it's about a loving God who made a way to redeem sinful creation. But at no point do we become the main character of the story. We exist. We are here to point people to Him. That's why we exist. But I'm telling you that where the church has failed is so many times we pointed people to a person other than Christ. We made it about a personality, we made it about a gifting. And listen, if We're following a gifting. If we're following a sinful man, that makes no sense. See, we're not here. I'm not here to point you to me. I'm not here to program your life. I'm here to point you to Christ. I'm here to tell you that you have the ability to listen to God and do what he says. The amazing thing is that when you begin to hear God yourself, you find out that you don't need us nearly as much as you think you do. You find out that Sunday morning becomes a celebration of what God's been speaking to you all week long, not a time where we come in full of self and hope we leave full of God. It's a continuation of what God's been doing. The church has often pointed people to the church to this church, to the kingdom that we want to build. The church has oftentimes resorted to manipulation rather than the power of God. The church in many ways has robbed people of an authentic experience with Jesus and the Holy Spirit because we've tried to manipulate people to a response. That's not what we're here for. Honestly, there's times when, and I hope this doesn't happen because then you're gonna think I did it. There's times when I sometimes wish we could just burn this building down. It's been kind of a blessing and a curse because it's almost like six months to a year after we moved into this building. It's almost like we had walls and so we've made it. We've arrived. We get comfortable. It's all of a sudden about me. And I'm telling you guys, it's not about us. It's not about my comfort. It's not about me filling my capacity for life with me. The best I can do is death. What he offers is life. God Loves us so much. He gave his son. God reveals himself to us. But understand, and I want y'all to really hear this. We have oftentimes seen our salvation, our revelation of who Jesus is as the end rather than the means to the end. So that we have become a dam of the Holy Spirit rather than a conduit of the Holy Spirit. We have become a dam of God's blessings rather than a conduit of God's blessings into the world because we are so entitled, we are so selfish that what we look at is God did this for me. If I was the only person in the world, God would have still done this. And so it must be about me. It doesn't stop with us. All those things are true, we just can't stop there. We talk so much about what we've been saved from, but we never seem to hear much about what we've been saved for. We're not called to sit comfortably. The kingdom is not about comfort. Our comfort is not about exterior circumstances. Our comfort is about an internal security and peace that only comes through the Holy Spirit inside of us. Listen, our peace is always going to be fleeing. It's always going to be temporary until we get our eyes off of what's temporary and put them on what's eternal. But we live as though this is about me. It's why the prosperity gospel gains so much traction. I can have Jesus and it still be about me. but I don't see anywhere that the apostles were like, hey, sow a seed, you'll get a big check next week. Guys, it's not about us. And the crazy thing is, and the Bible's true, and I know this, I know this because I'm not perfect. I know so many times, so many days, so many minutes, so many seconds. I wanna feel my capacity with me. But the Bible is true that we do find life when we lose our life. It makes no sense to our mind, but so much of what we Lean on is our own understanding that has been taught to us by the world and by culture. Our understanding of God has been taught to us by an experience at church or with a Christian that that maybe didn't represent that well. And our experience cannot be based, or our understanding of God can't be based off of that experience. It has to be based off of the revelation of scripture, of who God is and why we exist and the fact that we carry this to the world is to flow through us, not stop with us. And it brings us right back to the beginning of why why do I decrease? Why would I even think it makes any sense at all to decrease? One, because I've tasted, I've seen who God is, who I am what he's done and who I've become. And I want more of him. I've had a foretaste of the Holy Spirit and I want more of that. I'm looking forward to eternity and the fullness of what I've tasted. I'm not putting my hope in temporary things that may be here today and gone tomorrow. And I decrease because I exist to point other people to Jesus. Last thing I going to say, A while back, a few weeks ago, I had to make tea, and this is going to sound like I was 10, not 42, but I didn't know how to make tea, and so I did what every grown man does when they don't know how to do something. I called my mom, and I said, I got to make some tea, and so she told me, she's like, well, put the water on the stove, and I didn't have, you know, the microwave or whatever, so I put the water on the stove, and she's like, bring it to a boil, so I brought it to a boil. She's like, put the bags in there, and then once it comes to a boil, set them off and let it steep. Let it steep? What you mean? She's like, just let the teabags soak in there and let it steep. You need to let it steep for a while because if you don't let it steep, it's not going to taste right. And so evidently, I didn't let it steep long enough. Because when I poured the tea, it looked about like that clear water. I mean, it was see-through. Barely brown. And the reason it was weak the reason it wasn't what it was supposed to be didn't taste the way it was supposed to taste is because I hadn't let it steep I hadn't let those tea bags soak in there enough I think that really applies to us as Christians and us as the church I think the reason that oftentimes we are weak Christians and the church is a weak church is not because we need to try harder it's because I haven't soaked in Jesus enough And so, guys, listen, I don't don't want us to be a place where we try to manipulate a response. I want us to be a place where the power of the Holy Spirit works so that we come to not an emotional response. We come to a Holy Spirit-led repentance that leads us to a place of turning from our sin and turning from death to turning to life because we've tasted And here's the way I want to end. I'm going to get you out of here, but I want to ask the prayer team, you come forward, if you will, please. And listen, if you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then I'm going to pray in just a second. I want you to just come up here and talk to one of these prayer team folks. Just tell them you want to come to a relationship with God. You want to accept Jesus. You want to, Walk in him, his love, the lordship of Christ. Listen, if you have something in your life that's hindering the fullness of Christ in you, then don't leave here making a response. For God's sake, don't leave here talking about a worship band or a message. Leave here with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And if there's something that's hindering you from doing that, from being full of Christ is hindering you from having more of Him than repent. It's a good thing. It's turning to God. If you want to come down here and pray, you can. If you want to sit in your seat, you can. If you want to go to your car, you can. If you want to go out there in the parking lot and stand on your head, you. Can. I don't know. Like, just do what God tells you to do. The form is not as important as The function. So if something's hindering you, my encouragement is repent, turn, turn to life. I'm going to pray and you listen to God, do what he tells you to do. Lord, thank you for our time together and the truth of your word. God, I pray that if someone here doesn't know you, that God, they would have their eyes and ears open to hear your message and see the reality of who you are, who they are, what you've done, and who they can become in you. Lord, just let us hear your voice. Teach us to listen and just do what you say. And God, don't let this be a burden because it's something we have to do. Let us realize that, God, it's something we get to do. We get to know you. We have the greatest message that ears have ever heard. and God, give us the boldness and courage to proclaim it. God, I pray that you would do what you say your word would do. I pray that you would correct us. God, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would rebuke us and train us so that we can walk in your ways because your ways lead to life. God, I love you. Thank you for these folks and thank you for.